This forum is part of the City Club's Workforce Development Series, sponsored by Deaconess Foundation and Huntington Bank. We're grateful for their generous support. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Dan Malthrop, Chief Executive here and a proud member. Today's March 26th. You're with the Virtual City Club Forum. We're live from the studios of our public media partner, 90.3 WCPN IdeaStream. Big thanks to them. When you think about the future we want to create for our communities here in greater Cleveland, across the state, across the country for that matter, there's actually a fair bit of common ground. I don't feel like I'm going out on a limb by saying we'd probably all like to see more people have access to more great jobs and to be able to learn the skills to succeed in those jobs. The outcome of that would be increased economic opportunity and prosperity for more people, especially our neighbors who have experienced intergenerational poverty. And with that actually pretty large patch of common ground in mind, we've been partnering with the Deaconess Foundation and Huntington Bank to put together some conversations about workforce development. Last month, we talked about advancing racial equity in hiring and job training. Two weeks ago, we imagined the impact of widespread access to high-quality, affordable childcare and early childhood education. And today, we'll explore where technology meets manufacturing as we contemplate what the factory of the future will look like and how, if we do it right, we might be able to solve some of the big problems around equity. Let me introduce our Friday Forum speakers. Craig Platt is the Managing Director of the IT Sector Partnership at the Greater Cleveland Partnership. He joined GCP four months ago after spending more than 30 years working for General Electric. Dr. Elizabeth Reynolds is the Executive Director of the Industrial Performance Center and the Task Force on the Work of the Future at Massachusetts Institute of Technology. She's been actively engaged in efforts to rebuild manufacturing capabilities across the United States, most recently as a member of the Massachusetts Advanced Manufacturing Collaborative, and she has been named to a post in the White House, and she will let us know if she can talk more about that. Adam Snyder is Managing Director of the Manufacturing Sector Partnership at Magnet. Magnet is the Manufacturing Advocacy and Growth Network here in Northeast Ohio, and it's part of the National Institute of Standards and Technology and the Ohio Manufacturing Extension Partnership Program to support small and medium manufacturers across the United States, but especially, of course, here in Northeast Ohio. As I said, if you have questions about the factory of the future and the workforce of the future, text your questions to 330-541-5794. That number again is 330-541-5794. And you can also tweet them at the City Club if you are a Twitter kind of person. We'll work them into the program. Craig Platt, Liz Reynolds, and Adam Snyder, welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. Thank you. Wonderful to have all of you with us. Liz Reynolds, um, I did mention the, the, the appointment to the administration. Are you, are you permitted to talk about that to discuss at least what you're going to do? I can certainly mention my title. I start next <laughs> week. Uh, so I'm going to be the special assistant to the president for manufacturing and, and economic development. So uh, very much engaged in the kinds of uh, issues and, and topics we'll be discussing today. Excellent. Liz, I want to start with you as you're going to kind of provide the larger and national and global perspective on our conversation. Craig and Adam are going to help us understand the local impact. 
But um, it seems to me that there are sort of two broad areas that we're talking about. Um, Firstly, what does the work of the future actually look like? And then secondly, how organizations and institutions in the broader economy should shift and evolve to make sure that as we're approaching this work of the future and this factory of the future, we're doing it in a way that actually creates shared prosperity and doesn't exacerbate problems of inequality that we've faced and and seem to have grown a lot in recent years. Is that the right way to think about these sort of this set of issues? I think so. I think it's a great way to kick off this conversation. And of course, um, MIT launched this task force on the work of the future in the spring of 2018 at a time when it felt like the country was, you know, besieged with this idea that the robots are coming, they're taking all our jobs, you know, there'll be nothing for everyone and we'll have to um, create, you know, universal basic income because there won't be enough jobs. And, and what we found in our research, which involved actually a lot of interviews in, in Ohio with companies there, et cetera, um, was that, you know, what we know is that technology, while it does replace existing work and, and do, has done that for decades, it also is creating new work. And about over 60% of the jobs we have today did not exist in 1940. It's very easy for us to look back and see what's been lost, but it's hard for us to project what's going forward. And so what we know is that automation's been introduced uh, you know, for decades. And, what, and in fact, we've had more labor market participation over time, uh, over the 20th century. And so our challenge, we think, going forward is not going to necessarily be the number of jobs, certainly post-COVID, we're in a, a, a really challenging time right now, uh, but really the quality of jobs. Because uh, while technology is changing um, rapidly, we've got AI, robotics, everything's coming, I mean, really creating tremendous opportunities. Um, those opportunities can only be realized across the board if we actually change our labor market institutions. We've had rising productivity uh, over the last uh, you know, decades in which if you were a four-year degree holder, um, you saw a lot of those gains. But if you were a typical worker in this country, someone without the four-year degree, someone who's not in a supervisory position, then there was, there was very little gains to your own income. We had stagnating wages. And so that divergence, which, which started about 40 years ago, I think is partly what's behind the anxiety about the future. If you were in the group who really hasn't seen a lot of shared prosperity, uh, then you're worried about innovation. You're worried about that technology. Uh, but in fact, if we can change those institutions and innovate in that area while we're innovating in technology, I, we, we really see a pathway forward that can can bring the benefits to everyone. Liz Reynolds, is uh, she runs the Industrial Performance Center at uh, MIT, and she's also part of the task force on the work of the future, soon to be heading to the White House, uh, the Biden administration, to advise the president on these issues that we're discussing today. And Adam Snyder and Craig Platt, I want to turn to you to ask this sort of question that Liz pointed to, that um, we're seeing new jobs emerge that didn't exist you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Um, and in the IT sector, Craig Platt, it's sort of in some ways, it might be obvious and self-evident that these are new jobs because the IT IT didn't really exist as a sector 50 years ago. Um, but Adam Snyder, first, with in terms of manufacturing, what are the new jobs that didn't exist that you're seeing emerge in the last 10 years and, and likely to emerge in the next? I think there's been an accelerating progression and excitement to adopt technology, both in the process and around the process in manufacturing, that have created a ton of opportunity for both incumbent workers and for people in the community that are learning about manufacturing as to where they can jump in. And you see that with the 
the refinement of process and the more advanced machining and processing and automation. But now there's there's a, a growing interest uh, with the manufacturers in Industry 4.0 and all of the talents and skills that are going to be needed to to have that materialize in data analytics and sensor technology and a bunch of intersections with, with high-tech, um, fast-moving, fast-developing competencies that are going to create opportunities for people through, through the entire work stream. Adam Snyder is the Managing Director of the Manufacturing Sector Partnership at Magnet. Craig Platt is the, runs the Sector Partnership for IT. Craig, I, we should also define kind of what a sector partnership is because it's a relatively new concept in workforce development, trying to bring together uh, industry and the, and the folks responsible for actually doing training. Um, it, what are you training, what are you seeing the big needs are for training in the IT sector right now? And are we talking about super high-skilled coding jobs that require a computer science degree or something else? It's, it's more than that. To be successful, yes, you need the technology. But you also are in business, right? So your communication skills, time management skills, uh, things that help you survive the day like emotional intelligence. There's more than just the technology. Uh, most employers will tell you that it's easy to train on the technology. But then how do I grow? How do I understand how to leverage that technology to improve a business? So when you look at advancements in expertise, it's not pure technology. It's how you innovate and drive business value that extends out to the customers to create value that helps move careers along. So it's just not coding. And uh, that's an easy thing to point to. Project management is critical. The speed of delivery is critical. So you have agile scrum masters that instead of uh, giving IT some investment money and you're taking a slower waterfall approach and you see some return on that or first implementation in 18 months, that's too slow. The businesses are moving too fast. So agile technology and, and that approach to implementing that way is also another set of jobs. So it's just not coding language. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's much more uh, diverse and complex than that. I want to dive into this notion and, and see if we can help paint a picture for our audience about what the factory of the future, what we imagine the factory of the future will look like. Liz Reynolds, you had said earlier that AI did not displace workers and that we, we feared that the robots would be coming and they didn't, they haven't quite arrived in the way that we thought and that they haven't displaced um, the logistics industry. We don't see a lot of autonomous or self-driving vehicles on the road or trucks on the road yet. Um, so, so, but what do we think, how, just how automated will the factory of the future be? I'll leave it there. Okay. <laughs> so, no doubt, look, we've had robotics. Let's hold on, hold on a second. If you, if you could just unmute your, your microphone on the, on the live stream, that would be great. Thank you. Sure. Um, so, you know, Craig uh, knows this well. We've had industrial robotics in the automotive industry for decades. I mean, automotive has been leading in that. And so in some ways, um, you know, the new, the robots that are coming are actually involved in things like collaborative robotics or trying to augment workers in different ways. The AI is really about um, generating greater insight. It's about quality. It's about safety. So it's, it's transformative and it will change it will change what people are doing. And in many ways we are trying to, we, we see it 
replacing tasks, but not necessarily whole jobs. There are very few jobs where the entire job can be replaced, particularly in manufacturing. And, and if it can be, frankly, it probably has been. Like we've, we've been through a lot of automation already. So now it's about this technology driving greater insight and creating more value and how do we augment workers. And so when we think about the factory of the future, we kept asking a lot of the companies we met in Ohio, Michigan, Northeast, what about this lights out factory? Right, we hear about that, and there's no question there are some of them. What there. is that? What does but that even mean? Sorry, lights out factory. You can run it 24/7 without essentially humans. You know, it, it can run with a, maybe one or two people kind of watching a few screens, but it's just it's just constantly producing whatever widgets or pieces that you want. The fact is, as one of the you know, respondents said to us, I can't innovate in a lights out factory. I cannot. You know, I don't have humans telling me how to do this better or what else we could change or how, you know, it's just, it's just not a model that works for anything that, that I think where the U.S. has a lot of strength. So the factory of the future is about connectivity. It's about insight. It's about customers, as Craig said. It's about, you know, a digital thread that connects you from customer right through your supply chain. Uh, it's a tremendous amount of opportunity um, to, to sort of really make a game changer in our, in our manufacturing. But what we found is it's actually, as I said before, it's sort of, we're just at the first inning of that. We're, we're really at the beginning, and firms are figuring this out. You'd think Industry 4.0 has been around. That language has been around. We call that a suitcase term. It's whatever you want to throw in the suitcase is Industry 4.0. It's very hard for people <laughs> to figure out exactly what that means. Well, I want to come back to something, to just a phrase that you used earlier, augmented workers. Um, and, you know, like in my head, I like I start seeing, you know, like, uh, robotic exoskeletons and things like that. I don't I have no idea what you're talking about when you say augmented workers. So, like, I mean, is this because it sounds like potentially science fictiony, or it sounds like really just a, an AI program that helps a worker make a decision? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. So, I think that you know, artificial intelligence. Unfortunately, it's here to stay. But what a term, right? Not, it, we're not sure what that means either. <laughs> so, what we're talking about is technology that's just helping the worker and and. In the past, it was just physical, right? We could basically, a robot could come and help you lift something. Now it's cognitive. It's helping you generate insight. So think about every, every factory you know, in Ohio, ideally, you'd have sensors all over the place that would tell you, how many, you know, what you're producing. Um, I mean, sort of the, the timing, the, the, what's gonna happen with your, your, your tools. Are they in good shape? Does it look like they're gonna wear down? You know, predictive maintenance pieces. All of this kind of generation, and the challenge right now is we're generating more data than we know what to do with or how to interpret. And so what we also heard from some of our interviews was the machines are talking, but we need people who know how to listen. And that's our workers right from the floor, you know, from the factory floor all the way to management. And that's the transformation that's happening. So everybody's got to figure out how to listen differently. Uh, it's not just about putting new widgets in that corner of the factory on that production line. You know, and and we've got you know we need new skills there. It's really about the entire organization. And then this really is then Craig Platt, where where IT meets manufacturing. You can no longer just have a bunch of uh, a bunch of machines and you know and and workers operating those machines, but the IT the IT is completely integrated. It, it absolutely is. It's a collaboration, and really, it's easy to say, let's look at the factory. But for me to provide products to my customers that are quality products, what they want and when they want it, it's an end-to-end -end process. From taking the order, through forecasting, through inventory, it's just not that piece. So when you think about this whole process, you have to think about it from a roll-throughput yield. 
from beginning to end. I could take one piece and optimize it and barely move the needle on my customer service levels. So an IT person needs to be able to look at the process end to end and understand where the greatest impact is. So I can spend tons of money on my factory and I keep generating uh, errors in order entry or my distribution logistics are off the, or the forecast of materials. So it's an end-to-end -end system that you need to model and then digitize. So that's a collaboration. It's not write a 50-page, 100-page specification and get a brain dump of somebody. Most of the time when you're going to do that, you're going to digitize exactly what they're doing today and there is no innovation. So your, your incremental benefit, you're going to get an incremental benefit, not the full benefit. Adam Snyder, when you look at the manufacturers across Ohio uh, and across the 20-plus the county region that you work in, um, who's doing this best? Who's got the factory of the, the most futuristic factory? It's really an exciting time to look at that in particular because there are pockets of leaders that are leaning into this transformation, that are leaning into this technology adoption, and also at the same time looking at how that impacts their workforce. And I think that the... The takeaway for me from some of the things that Liz said and from Craig said was that there's an excitement and an opportunity here where as, as technologies come into play even more heavily, and in particular, the bigger companies that have seen this coming and have the resources to put teams of people on the, the strategies and the implementation of this, they're leading and they're getting out there. And there's an opportunity for their suppliers, the small and mid-sized manufacturers, to follow along and get pulled in the wake of that, that transformation. And now everybody's starting to see some of the, the benefits that not only on, on the nuts and bolts things, profitability, delivery, uh, uptime, and things like that, we're seeing, I think one of the things that, that I wanted to shine a light on that Liz said was, we're actually making the manufacturing environment and that factory of the future a more enjoyable and productive and safe place for the people that are in it. Because some of those automation technologies are helping um, create safe, safer processes. Robots exist most productively in a really clean factory. So there's a, there's a momentum build there where the more we get into technology, the farther we get from the 80-year-old vision of a dark, dirty factory. These are, these are clean, technology-driven uh, places. And then from a people standpoint, you know, 30 years ago, it was the, the maintenance technician that knew to listen for a particular sound or, or could put their hand on a machine and go, mm, I bet that's that bearing that's going again. He was the and sensor. And now we have the, exactly. And now, and now that job isn't replaced. That maintenance technician can be that much more effective because the sensor technology can say before his hand could feel it, that bearing needs replaced. He can do it proactively. All of the workers around that piece of equipment stay more productive. Um, so it, it's really a nice, uh, a nice momentum build that we're going through now. Adam Snyder is managing director of the manufacturing sector partnership at Magnet. Uh, we're also talking with Craig Platt, managing director of the IT sector partnership. He's with Greater Cleveland Partnership. And Liz Reynolds, Dr. Liz Reynolds, who is executive director of Industrial Performance Center and the task force on the work of the future for MIT, also heading to the Biden administration to advise the president as a special assistant to the president uh, on these issues. 
I want to um, broaden our conversation to the other, we've talked about the factory of the future, and I, I want to broaden our conversation to this other area that I, that I pointed to, how organizations and institutions and the economy should shift um, in order to ensure that as we are evolving as a, uh, you know, as, a se- as the manufacturing sector, the IT sector, that we're bringing workers along with the economic prosperity that comes with that. Liz Reynolds, this was a, a huge topic of the, the work for the future, work of the future report that you co-authored. So how do we do that? Uh, well, you know, I think that um, clearly one of the pillars of the discussion today is around workforce training and education and how do we bring new skills to the current generation. I, um, to Craig's point earlier, you know, there's this really sobering data uh, that if you are over 20, and I think everybody on this call is, if you're over 20, your skills, sadly, memory, speed of processing, all of that just starts just like plummet. It just keeps going all the way to 70. You know? I've noticed. But yes, have you noticed? <laughs> um, but, but, if, but what happens is your domain knowledge, your crystallized knowledge grows all the way to 70 and 80. And so what we want is, a, you know, in some ways these firms, what, what we heard from people is we want the domain knowledge of the older workers, you know, the real skills they have, and the savvy of the younger workers. And, you know, creating technology that, that is um, worker-friendly, worker-centric, uh, that is, again, augmenting workers. Um, we have this uh, phrase from one of our economists, Daron Asimoglu, and his, his colleague Pasquale Restrepo, which is so-so technologies that a lot of firms have been trying to reduce their costs by just, you know, throw in some technology, get rid of an FTE, and, uh, and that, you know, my productivity goes up. But that's not, you know, that doesn't build, build, build you resiliency, it doesn't build you long-term innovation productivity. It's about trying to tap into the, to the workers and building their capabilities. And what we've seen is that actually firms are really, you know, with all the online stuff, firms are really in a position to do this in a, in a great way. All the AR and VR, sorry, uh, Augmented, augmented reality, reality virtual reality. Virtual reality is going to be, you know, we're at the beginning of that. Um, and so figuring out how to do that, and, you know, I, I had a lot of interviews and meetings in, in Ohio, and a lot of people are kind of thinking about that on the, you know, really on the frontier of how to bring that into our training. Uh, I think there, there's a real way to do it. What we're short of is actually long, you know, given demographics and long-term trends, we're short of workers for manufacturing. Uh, down the road. And so that's part of the training that I know Magnet's doing and others are involved in. I want to talk about that in a second. Liz Reynolds, I know that we're trying to figure out a technology solution for you right now. Um, So I'm going to direct the next couple of questions to Adam and Craig to allow you some time to figure that out. Adam, the, Liz just pointed to this, the, the, the issue that has been plaguing Northeast Ohio for as long as I've been here, which is that there's a, an abundance of unfilled jobs and an abundance of unemployed people, and there's a, skill, a complete skills mismatch or an inability to connect people to these jobs. How are we solving that problem? Are we, are we moving the needle on that problem at all right now, and, um, and how? There's some some great opportunities. There's a distinct reality to the fact that we have we have not done a good job telling our story in manufacturing. And, and part of the reason I jumped into this role and got uh, and left running a manufacturing company and running plants was because of this gap and the ability to have an impact on this. And so the the momentum and and the gains that we're making right now in helping, in particular, younger folks and people who haven't been exposed to manufacturing see that vision of of the factory of the future and get excited about it 
I think is a is a, a real opportunity. We have to lean into it. Employers are leaning into it through things like the sector partnership, the Cleveland Innovation Project. We've got partners in education and workforce that are starting to see those gains and and are also learning and becoming advocates in the community. And and one of those transformations to me is that for years, manufacturers, we have romanticized the idea that the backyard tinkerer or mechanic that loves playing under the hood of their car easily rolls into manufacturing and they like to work with their hands and that's the, uh, that's the person we're looking for. And the reality of the jobs of the future is that that's, that's not the complete skill set or the mindset. So instead of trying to, for the last 10 years, we've been trying to teach backyard mechanics how to program robots. We've now got an entire generation of folks that know the technology basics and, and are grew up with touchscreens as infants that we could we could be say hey you can do these things and it's really cool and technology is exciting and also look at how amazing manufacturing is and converting this raw material into a finished good and find the those folks that are inspired by that as much as we've been for the last couple couple decades I want to just mention that if you have questions about the work of the future, the factory of the future, and how we make a more equitable, how we use this as an opportunity to make a more equitable future, please join our conversation with a text message to 330-541-5794. You can text your question there, 330-541-5794, or you can tweet it at the City Club. We'll work it into the program. We're coming up on the Q&A in just a minute. But Craig Platt, uh, from the IT sector standpoint, and also from your you know decades of work with GE, I mean, you must have seen this um, this this gap, this mismatch, uh, play out every day with unfilled jobs at GE. Well, it's it's interesting uh, in in terms of where you put your focus, and is it on an initiative uh, that that when you hit a skills gap, you go fix it, and then you move forward. Then you hit a gap and you go fix it, or do you spend the time building an ecosystem? And that's what we're doing in our sector partnerships. We're building a coordinated ecosystem. There's a lot of great work going on in terms of workforce development in higher education. But is it linked to in-demand jobs, right? Is it linked to why employers think great technical uh, uh, resources fail in, in, in an environment, right? Is it uh, conducive to uh, the fit of how they work? I work best in small groups. I'm in a large scale project. Am I going to be effective in it? So the collaboration between the employers, higher education, and also workforce developers has got to be tighter, right? You, you can't, the hockey term, you don't skate to where the puck was or is right now. Where's it going, right? So if you're thinking about AI, you're not going to be great at AI immediately, right? Because the forerunner is you've got great data and, mm -hmm. and, and secure data and quality in your data. So when I have an individual that I want to be a great artificial intelligence development expert, you start somewhere, right? And then to Adam's point, the other thing I'd, I'd like to t uh, touch on, he talked about uh, the backyard mechanics and, and working on automobiles and uh, the, the father and the daughter or the father and the son doing that and it translates into work. Well, digital technology has to be that same way. The problem is everybody doesn't have tablets at home. The pandemic showed us that the digital divide is bigger 
than anybody ever expected. So you think about an educational system, when we start to talk about you're going to participate in classes virtually, but a family doesn't have the technology to connect. You say, oh my gosh, we have to fix that. But think about it, they're still playing catch up because the other homes that have the, the, the digital technology, that have digital literacy, digital equity, when they're doing their homework, they're using the web. They're, they're doing simulations, they're doing modeling. And there's another group of people working from a book. So it's an end-to-end -end process. Understanding from the employers, the jobs of the future, getting that communicated all the way down and, and understanding how you build those skills at an early age. My four-year-old granddaughters have had tablets for three or four years. They can go find the movie they want, three screens down, two down. They are not nervous about the technology. Not as nervous and as you so are. You, you have to, well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving you a hard time, Craig. I just try and jump in here. I just wanted to, I, I just need to say right now that if you're just joining us, you're with the City Club Friday Forum. We're talking about the future of work, the future of factories, and how we can use this opportunity presented to us by the introduction of AI and, and other things that are drastically changing how work happens, how we can use all of this to create a more equitable future and more economic opportunity for more of our neighbors. If you'd like to join the conversation with Craig Platt of the GCP, Adam Snyder of Magnet, and uh, and Liz Reynolds of MIT and the, and soon to be of the Biden administration, please text your question to 330-541-5794. The number again is 330-541-5794. You can also tweet it at the City Club, and we'll work it into the program. I'm going to jump in with the first couple of uh, questions from our listeners that have that have come in. It appears that workers and unions are fearing job loss caused by the adoption of an investment in technology. Are manufacturers at all trying to ease these fears and provide training opportunities for current workers? Why or why not? Adam Snyder. Yeah, we we are seeing a an explosion of sorts in incumbent worker upskill training. And some of that is driven by, um, by our partners at the state and national level. There's tons of conversation about how do we expand apprenticeship models. Uh, Ohio has been running tech cred now out of the governor's office for... It appears as if we're having some internet issues. Uh, it's that kind of a day here at, um, here in greater Cleveland. Um, and we're going to uh, keep keep the conversation going a little bit. If you have questions and you want to join our conversation about the future of work and the future of manufacturing and how we can create a more equitable future here, uh, please text your questions to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. And you can also tweet them at the City Club, and we'll work them into the program. Um, and Liz Reynolds, are you still with us? Can you can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, I wonderful! Can, Thank goodness, because otherwise I was going to be vamping for the next like ten minutes while the internet went <laughs> went out. Um, yeah. But let me uh, let me ask you about this the that question about what manufacturers and and firms are actually doing. For many years, it has seemed, from my standpoint, as a total outsider to all of this, that they've been expecting that the uh, that the K-12 system and and the the higher ed system and the community college system is going to do the job of training for them so they could just hire the worker the, and, and there should just be a ready supply of workers. And that hasn't worked out very well. 
are th- are you finding that firms are leaning in and and hiring people who they believe to be trainable and then investing in them? Uh, well, I think we could all say per, again, it's just pre pre pandemic. I think mm-hmm. we were in a in a very different place. It's, it, we have to say that, but. Um, what we know is firms have decided that they need to lean in, and we see that, I think, we've certainly seen that in a lot of the tech firms, but we're also seeing it in our manufacturing firms. I do think if you look at, you know, it's not new news to uh, Ohio manufacturers that there's a shortage of workers, right? This has been over a decade or so of knowing this. But what um, what is new is the idea that actually the firms have to be coordinating and, and working with the institution, some of the ecosystem that that uh, Craig was talking about, and that that's really where we're going to see the greatest gains. I mean, when we think about uh, what's ahead and where we're going to find those workers, we now have to start thinking about, well, are we getting them from, you know, from high school right through into training post-secondary education? And what we know is that, you know, we have Uh, 40% of our population has a high school degree or lower. That is not sufficient for the 21st century. It's not going to be enough. We need people to be moving into education beyond in terms of certifications or two-year degrees, and we need employers to be part of that solution. And and so we have seen a lot of good, I think, things coming out, and and Adam can talk about this better, uh, but um, a lot of the larger firms are now um, are sort of have partnerships. We have programs like IBM P-Tech program, Pathways to Technology, that are taking us from taking students from high school into training, work-based learning, critical, weight work-based learning, and then into a, um, into a position, for example, for cyber, uh, cyber technology technicians. It used to be that IBM hired only computer scientists, four-year degree computer scientists for that cyber technician. It turns out you don't need a four-year degree. And, you know, by the way, we, we lose a lot of people on that four-year degree pathway, and they spend a lot of money. So let's create pathways to the middle that uh, in which we're really investing in the partnership where you get the workplace learning. You get, you know, what, what's interesting, the Germans have now moved into this. We want some vocational training, and we want some of that kind of theory foundational learning. And I think in the, in the past, uh, firms are sort of waiting for that person to just show up at their doorstep, and now they understand that they have to be part of the solution. Adam Snyder, are you seeing that here in Northeast Ohio, that firms are um, behaving as if they, they see themselves as part of the solution and, and, and cre- working on those pathways? Yeah, the, the sector partnership model is a great example of employer-led, employer-engaged, employer-owned initiatives. And, and as a collaborative we're seeing things happen in the ecosystem that haven't happened before because the partners know that the demand is there and that the the voice of demand is setting some of the priorities. And I think on the other side of that, for years, we can now shine a light on the fact that manufacturing has been resilient and innovative somewhat inside four walls for a long time. Many companies have developed training programs internally many more than are engaging with our community college system, many more than are engaging with the workforce system historically. So now to bring some of those things out into the open and look at where are synergies across 10 companies, where are their common skill sets where we can incorporate different earn and learn models across many companies, just creates that much more uh, visibility to the community and that much more access for all the partners that can help bring people into those programs. Another question uh, from the community, where, um, 
where are we with respect to competition and the strength, uh, global competition, and the strength of China and their, their progress on these very same issues as well, and Europe for that matter? Liz Reynolds is kind of a, your, your wheelhouse. Uh, well, I think it's fair to say that, you know, the country has been a, a awakened to international competition and a sense that we need to make a significant investment so that we can compete uh, internationally in many of these technologies and these sort of emerging industries where we have a lot of competitive advantage. And that is grounded in advanced manufacturing in many ways. Um, AI is sort of a foundational piece of it, but it's uh, it's robotics, it's biomanufacturing, it's clean energy. I mean, these are areas that are growth areas where we have real strength. And so I think that we, you know, our, our report shows that we've actually had a decline in public R&D dollars over the decades. Um, we've had total R&D dollars have been strong and been consistent with private money, but the public side has declined. And so I think, um, I think the Biden administration has made clear that they're really uh, have a, a large vision for a robust R&D agenda. And so I think that will be part of, of what uh, is going forward. But we, we do have a lot of emerging strengths here. And I, I personally am one who believes that that's the future for us. It's not about bringing back what was, you know, uh, went offshore decades ago. It's got to be about how we're building it going forward. Liz Reynolds is the executive director of the Industrial Performance Center and the and also with the task force on the work of the future, both at MIT. She's heading to the Biden administration to advise the president on these issues. Adam Snyder of Magnet is with us, along with Craig Platt of the Greater Cleveland Partnership, and he Craig runs the IT sector partnership. Um, Craig, in terms of IT, that would seem to be a, an area where you know the and this in in terms of IT and this issue of global competition and competition with China. Um, that would seem to be an area of uh, of great concern for local firms. What are you hearing from the, the members of the sector partnership? Well, what's interesting is IT has been global for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And the reality is employers have tapped into that technology. Businesses with global footprints, meaning having factories and, and customers, have naturally uh, built up uh, employees in those countries. Uh, where the development and the preparation may be a little bit more ahead of where we are here. So in terms of employer in, in, in IT, you know, working virtually and having a, a, a global uh, team that can collaborate and build solutions has been easy as long as the network uh, has, has been there. The thing that we have to remember is a lot of innovation occurs when you're actually walking through a factory and you're looking and you're questioning how it's laid out, how it's operating, why is somebody doing this? So when we don't have that there, we, we lose out a little bit here too. So I, I agree with Liz and, and Adam, when you build back here, it's different. It's not just bringing it uh, back to the states or back to your community, but what are you gonna do differently? How are you gonna build your organization that you're organization is based on continuous learning. It's based on understanding that digital technology is your friend. And then particularly in the manufacturing, the other piece is operational technology and information te technology. Operational technology runs the machines and is generating just tons of data. But if I'm on the outside, I'm just IT and I'm looking at that, I haven't tapped into that data. So 
that factory is another source of innovation. So when we build here differently, we have to build with the integration that this particular machine doing this particular job is part of the system and we need to get the data out of it. That's when you start to build a foundation where you get machine learning, artificial intelligence from the ground up. You can't just add that on top of what you have. Another question uh, for all of you, why are capital dollars Pardon me. Why are capital dollars intimidated by investing in a region such as Cleveland that could be fertile ground for growth with talent and resource capacity? And, and I'm really interested to hear kind of from each of you about about this. We're a, a state with with flat population, the very, very little population growth, certainly with respect to the rest of the country, and um, and this this challenge of attracting new businesses and business expansion is one that. That um, both of you, Craig and Adam, have colleagues in the you know have colleagues at Magnet and and at GCP and at other organizations who've been working doggedly on this for years, and and we still seem to struggle. What's going on? I think we're on a journey. Uh, I, I I don't think it's this steep decline. I think uh, we are working on what makes us a better environment, uh, from the infrastructure to allow uh, workers to get to their jobs to the ideas of we have to tap in to our diverse populations. When you look at Cleveland or Cuyahoga County and African Americans make up 30% of the population, only 9.5% are working in IT, it's telling you you're missing out. When we tap into those local resources, when we convince uh, our students uh, that are, are, are going to local colleges, but only 47% stay home in businesses. When we show them uh, that the community is going to invest in them early, so they realize the rich resources that are in Cleveland. So I think Cleveland is a great place to be. I built my 40 year career here. And while in Cleveland, I've seen the world from Cleveland and traveled everywhere through a, a great corporation. So we have a lot of great corporations we have to make sure that people understand the opportunities in those corporations, that IT careers can take them through all of these things. But again, we have to solve some of our local issues in terms of tapping in to a population that's 30%, but represents 9.5% of the IT workforce. Liz Reynolds, this, this question often touches on the use of economic incentives, tax incentives, and so forth um, that, are, uh, that are put together as um, packages for potential em for employers and, and, and others, as, as in particular when there's a large-scale manufacturing site to be selected. How, what does your research tell you about how much that's driving growth in, the, in this, these sectors? Well, I think there, there is a place, there always has been a place for some incentives, but, but frankly, you know, the real growth comes from what we call endogenous growth, from finding the assets and putting them together in a certain way within the region. So that is, just as Craig said, it's the talent, it's the, uh, it's the universities, it's the businesses, and generating new growth, generating entrepreneurial opportunities from that. So, you know, it, it's often a race to the bottom through a lot of the tax you know, the tax play. And um, and so I think, you know, we have examples where others have said, you know what, that's not how we're going to compete. We're going to build our capabilities in X. And, you know, we can we can find examples. Um, I'm going to let me just put out on the capital side. This is 
um, some research we did at uh, MIT a few years ago, and it's just speaking more broadly, I think, nationally, but also to hardware, to the to, to companies that are making things. Um, making things takes longer than uh, setting up an app to buy something over the internet, all right? So the kind of consumer-facing, software-based startup, uh, you know, they can scale in a minute, they've got kind of, you know, zero marginal costs over a period of time, and they can raise money quickly, and they can help get that risk capital. If you're in a VC and you want to be out in seven or eight years after your investment, some of that works. When we're making something, which we do in Ohio, which we do elsewhere, that's just not how it works. It takes much longer. And so I think what we found in some of our research is that where we have startups, really strong startups that are making things, we have a very strong ecosystem at the startup phase. They can find the capital. They can find, you know, initial investors. But when you have to find capital for over 10 years, when you're doing something that takes longer, when it takes a, you have a longer runway, you need more capital. Um, there's, uh, you know, you're still learning what we call learning by building. We actually have a challenge, I think, in the country with this kind of startup ecosystem. And I, I think that that's something that, again, across the, across the country, uh, you know, we could look for ways to sort of address that so that the startup opportunities in Ohio that are manufacturing based have uh, access to capital to help build those uh, build those companies. Adam Snyder. I would agree with both of those things. I, I see, um, to Craig's point, there's a, a real parallel in my mind around the perception of manufacturing and, and Rust Belt and the coverage that plant closures get versus the the coverage that a startup gets when it when it hits 20 employees. That That's not, you know, there isn't a region-wide party, but a new product-based company getting to 20 employees or 50 employees that is a huge task to go to that level. And so I, I think there we're seeing some acknowledgements and some progress in that. Uh, just in the last couple of weeks, Third Frontier uh, announced some awards that are, are really product-centric uh, capital uh, seed money through Jumpstart, through Magnets Iterator. And, and we're starting to see an acknowledgement also by the manufacturing industry itself of both entrepreneurial support for startups that can support our broader uh, OEMs and, and tier one uh, manufacturers, but also entrepreneurial activities where companies that are finding things and could do spin-offs or new product launches, that there's an energy that's created by that that is is both a source of pride for local manufacturing, but it also presents a great future for job growth with, uh, with such a, an amazing base of manufacturing that's been in Northeast Ohio for 100 plus years there's also that opportunity to leverage that experience and the and the capital base of some of those companies as well. Is there an example of a manufacturer who has built a factory, a quote, factory of the future, and has found success both operationally and with their workers in terms of, of creating new models for the work to happen? And, and if so, where is it? What can we learn from them? And can we get them to open their next facility here in Northeast Ohio? <laughs> Liz Reynolds? Well, I can give you oh, go ahead, an Craig. example yeah. of, of, of one I worked on, and, and, and unfortunately, it's, it's not an Ohio example, uh, but it, it, it could have been. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and it's interesting when the government creates regulations that puts your products at end of life, and that's what happened in, in the lighting industry. Mm -hmm. No more incandescent bulbs. You guys probably don't even remember those now. But we had to change over a factory from incandescent products to new LED lighting. LED lights have uh, 
uh, circuit boards, technology embedded them, and here's the existing workforce. We had to partner with that workforce, change how the product was assembled, uh, change the technology that was driving it, change how the workers interacted. We put in touch, uh, touch screens uh, to, to help them. Uh, we spent time looking and observing their work. What happened was we had a, a, a business that was uh, service lead times were four to six weeks. And then the service levels were 60%. So we're delivering your product four to six weeks, eh, maybe about 60% of the time. In a collaboration end to end, working with the workers, we changed that to the lead time became 10 days. The service levels went to 95% plus the employment in the factory increased because we were winning as a business. That's the key. You all have to be bought in the good of the business, serving quality products when the customers need them in the configuration that drives customer outcomes. That partnership became a factory of the future. Healthcare providers, a large construction uh, equipment manufacturers came to see that transformation. There's oh, we reduce inventory there. by 17 million too. Oh, so there's cash. By the way, <laughs> there's cash, <laughs> and then we started replicating that model. Mm -hmm. Adam Snyder, you were trying I to get in. Yeah, I appreciate the openness of where can we see a lighthouse example of this around the world. But there, it's a source of pride for me to talk about Parker Hannifin and Swagelock and Lincoln Electric and M7 Technologies and, and some of the local companies that have leaned into this hard and are doing world-class things in technology adoption and integration with their workforce into this process. And part of our responsibility at Magnet and within the sector partnership is to to get that word out and, and create, help put a spotlight on these lighthouse uh, activities so that more manufacturers can reduce their their anxiety or or even their risk around adoption and and see the benefit, start to project the benefit specific to their piece of the value chain and how which technologies and how implementing them would benefit their workforce as well as their bottom line. Liz Reynolds, I want to ask sort of pull back to the kind of economic perspective on some of this that the the way that we're discussing this today about in, investing in workforce, investing in training, investing in skills um, runs counter to the tendency that we've seen in what I'll what I'll sort of shorthand call in shorthand sh shareholder capitalism, towards more of a stakeholder capitalism kind of point of view that these human that this human capital is also a, a really important piece of the equation. Um, are you seeing that from a broad from your broad kind of twenty thousand foot perspective? Are you seeing that shift happening in, like for real? or is it just kind of myth-making right now? Yeah, it, you know, first and foremost, I think there has been a, a shift in the language of firms and the way they're seeing this. I mean, if you look across the board uh, about what some firms are doing to, um, to raise wages, you know, to respond to some of the tensions we've seen um, with workers, I think, it's, I think it's real. And then you have the business roundtable uh, just a couple summers ago, you know, the organization representing 200 of CEOs of our largest companies in the country um, saying we need to shift from the shareholder capitalist model, which has emphasized or has prioritized the shareholder as the most important stakeholder in a company to the stakeholder capitalism, where you involve 
workers, you involve customers, you involve suppliers, all uh, are part of the agenda. So I think that there is a, um, I think there's a mind shift in that direction. I think in terms of actual steps, you know, I think we could point out to a number of things. You know, Amazon has gotten a lot of heat for a number of, uh, you know, for a lot of their practices, and yet they, you know, raised their minimum wage to 15. Um, Walmart also in a place that had challenges now, for, you know, trying to find career pathways forward. Um, so I think there are there are shifts, and I and I think what we understand, and certainly what we make um, very clear in our report, is as I said at the beginning that yes, we need to do education and training, but that's actually not enough. It's necessary, but not sufficient. We also have to improve the quality of jobs in this country. Uh, we have some of the worst paying low wage jobs in, uh, in the industrialized world. If you, are, if you have a low wage job uh, in America, the same job in Canada is gonna pay a third more and give you healthcare benefits. Uh, we just have to find a way to raise you know, the bottom and then provide opportunities for that, that, you know, that pathway forward. And I think that's part of this shift uh, as well, away from the shareholder to a stakeholder view. Adam Snyder, do the firms that you work with in the network, uh, do they how do they, do they talk about it in this way, or are they still concerned with the cheapest labor available? The the dire state of the workforce uh, and the the ecosystem and, and labor force right now has has pushed a lot of that thinking, and my observation is that the Amazons and the Walmarts pushing that wage up has created pressure on manufacturers to, to figure that out because they'll see people leaving for 50 cents more down the street. But I also think that there, there is a, um, there's a community mindedness that, that rides along with all of those employers, at least with the ones that are engaged with us, that they're proud of the fact that once they figure it out, there's, there's mechanics there and how do our P&L rebalance in the right way and how do we make sure that the sustainability of our entity is, is healthy and also do this. And what I think we're seeing right now is that we've put the pressure the ecosystem has put the pressure on wage uh, increases at the at the entry level and then subsequently the compression but then there's also a reinvestment cycle and the same way we talked about capital cycle increasing those wages getting the the return on investment seeing the retention gains seeing the productivity gains from from job quality that we know are there that we we have faith will come then allows that cycle to keep going as Returns come, investments get made. Those investments can get made back to the to the exact places we're talking about. Well, we are getting close to the end here, um, and I want to thank all of you for your participation today. I recognize too, in listening to the to the three of you discuss this, and in particular on this last point, that we're missing a voice here. We're missing organized labor um, that has often played a role in setting up apprenticeship programs, at least in the trades, and um, and has played an important role in in determining. Job, or fighting for job quality is um, a, a phrase that you just used. And um, so clearly we've got more conversation to have on these issues. But, um, but really, Craig Platt of the Greater Cleveland Partnership, Adam Snyder of Magnet, Liz Reynolds, um, soon to be of the Biden administration, congratulations again on your, on your appointment. We look forward to hearing great news on, on this front from the Biden administration and maybe having you back to discuss it some more. Great. Thank you, Dan. Thank you all very much Enjoy for being it. a part of this today. Thank you.
And thank you as well for joining us here on 90.3 WCPN. Uh, We've had a great conversation about the intersection of technology and manufacturing and the future of workforce development and creating a more equitable future. Again, Craig Platt is a managing director of the IT sector partnership at the Greater Cleveland Partnership. Dr. Elizabeth Reynolds is executive director of the Industrial Performance Center at Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And Adam Snyder runs the Manufacturing Sector Partnership at Magnet. Thanks also to members, friends, sponsors, and donors, and others who support our mission to create conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. We have two such conversations coming up next week. On Tuesday, we'll talk with national and regional educators about what learning loss is and what school districts are doing to mitigate it, a particularly important topic this year. And next Friday, we'll talk with political strategists about the future of the Democratic Party. You can find out more and see what else is coming up at cityclub.org, and you can check out what you missed there. Also on PBS Passport, Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, Vimeo, and of course, our YouTube channel. I'm Dan Malthrop. Stay close in your hearts, my friends. It won't be long before we can be close in person again. Our forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.